Hi. 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 Uh, hi. I've missed you. It's been so long. It's been years. Jeez. It's been 84 years. Jeez. How are you? How was Iceland and everything else overseas? It was great. Everything. It was great. It was a wild time. We um, did a week in Iceland camper vanning, and then we hopped over to Scotland and had an Airbnb, and it was like we were suddenly living in a mansion in Scotland, despite the Airbnb being (laughs) real tiny and real old. I mean, it was fine. It was great. But it was hilarious like we like got in and we were like this is huge there's a Mm -hmm. shower and there's doors this is amazing doors um yeah the first like two days that we were in iceland um we landed in the middle of like a once in every 15 years storm that they were having oh good so it was like a straight up blizzard and it was insane it was insane like we had to park um like against the side of a building one night to make sure that the wind didn't knock our van over wow it was crazy yeah it was nuts um and then it calmed down and it was great uh but we had like gone in pretty cocky because we were like we're from alaska we can fucking drive in anything yeah no 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 it's (laughs) Icelanders are a, a whole different breed of crazy drivers. It Amazing. was, it was nuts. The guy that like picked us up from the airport, uh, from for the shuttle place or for the uh, van place, mm-hmm. he was telling us he was like, yeah, so like a tip of driving in Iceland, they drive on the same side of the road that America does, which was great and very helpful. <laughs> um, but he was like, yeah, if you are you know, the visibility is often so shitty and the roads are super narrow and also there are no guardrails and also there's no shoulder to the road. So you can't pull over. There's nowhere to pull over to stay on the road. But he was like, he was like, yeah, you know, um, there's like these little sticks that are along the road that have, if you're on the right hand side of the road, you see just one little reflective line. And if you're on the left side of the road, you see two. And so that's how you know what side of the road you're on, because the visibility is often so bad that you can just drift into the other lane and not realize it. So he was like, yeah, like, you know, just kind of keep an eye on where these little sticks are. <laughs> we were like, um, Comforting. OK, <laughs> like, we will do okay. that. Yeah, it was it was nuts. Um, oh. But our we brought all of our own food because everybody had told us that Iceland was so expensive and um. It worked great. Like we, hmm. yeah, we were a little worried that it was going to get stuck in customs, but it was all dehydrated and it oh, was good. fine. Yeah. Um, and so that was great. And then we just drank our way through Scotland yeah, <laughs> afterwards. It was amazing. Yeah. We like every day we would just like get up and like wander around Edinburgh and find a pub and then keep walking and then find another pub and then you know, oh, look, there's another pub. Like, let's go in there. It was great. Yeah, we were going to do kind of like a road trip up to the Highlands and stuff. But by the time we got to Scotland, the last thing that we wanted to do was be in a car. Right. So we were like, well, let's just stay in Edinburgh. And then one day we took the train to Glasgow. But otherwise, it was just Edinburgh. Man. 
Amazing. It was it great. Looked, everything looked so much fun. Yeah, it was great. And it was super chill. I mean, the Iceland part of it was less chill because we had to like change our game plan daily based on the weather. Like we spent literally two days running away from this giant storm because (laughs) everything that we wanted to do was in the middle of it. So we had to be like, okay, what else do we want to do in the opposite direction? Yeah, seriously. Um, But yeah, it was a great time. Super recommend going to Iceland in the winter. Everybody told us that it was crazy. And the first day that we were there, we like got stuck in a huge snow drift and had to get towed and like, and then we almost like ran off the road because there was zero visibility at all. We were just like, oh no, people were right. <laughs> like, oh no, we made a huge mistake. And then the next day it cleared up and it was beautiful. And I think though that it's not on the top of most people's honeymoon list. A hundred percent. Um. <laughs> I could be wrong, but you might be a special breed of people that enjoy that for honeymoons. Yeah. Who's to say? Who knows? Maybe they have a thriving honeymoon economy. I think probably the summer must be crazy touristy. I mean, it has to be. It just like it must just be crazy touristy. But it was fun because like all the hot springs, we didn't go to the Blue Lagoon because it was like a hundred bucks a person, and we were like. Uh, I don't know. And then we found it was a lot. Yeah. And like, it's supposed to be amazing. Like it's supposed to be super worth it. But um, we found there was one little town that literally the only thing in this town was like a hotel and a hot springs and a school. And that was like it. And um, we found it in our like, you know, Iceland tour book or whatever. And it was like, Mm -hmm. if you're going for a more luxurious vacation, you can go to this hot springs. And it was near us on one of the like super shitty days. So we um, stopped by and it was 30 bucks a person and had like six pools and it was empty. (laughs) So we're like, okay, like let's do this. And then we found another one that was the exact same thing that had like four people there. So we were like, okay, we got, two bougier hot springs that were totally empty for the same price that it would have cost us to go to the blue lagoon. So that's awesome. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, it was good. Amazing. How are you? How was your your time off? Uh, It was good. I did some of the stuff I intended to do, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. no, it's been, it's been good. I've been, um, very productive in all areas of life, which is good. Um, I've been reading a lot, which has been amazing. Nice. Yeah, I've been really, really digging it. Um, and I'm looking into pulling some money out of my savings to take a class because I feel like I need to be... Um, trying to actively hone my skills and get better at what I do, you know? Yeah. What kind Instead of class? Of just like, I think I'm going to take a beginner on film class, beginner on camera. That's great. Yeah. Cause I've never done anything on camera ever. And so I think that that would challenge and a prerequisite to taking classes. You have to have either taken all of these other courses or have a theater degree and have an acting degree. And so I think that it will challenge me more than, just starting with an acting one class somewhere, you know? Totally. Yeah. 
Um, I feel like I'll be with other people who are like-minded and motivated and it'll be really interesting and challenging. And it's, uh, one day a week for three hours for six weeks. And so I'm thinking real seriously about jumping into that, but yeah, my time off has been, has been really good. I've just been trying to focus on like getting a plan set for like weeks, months, this year, next year, you know, whatever. Just trying to yeah. get organized, get my life together, <laughs> more or less. <laughs> it's happening. Um, but it's been, it's been good. Good. Fingers crossed there should be a therapist in the picture soon. Oh my God, that's so exciting. I'm really excited. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. Uh, I'm really excited. It was hilarious because like filling out the stuff for the initial consultation, they were like, what would you like to talk about? I was like, how many words can I use? <laughs> yeah. Once upon a time. No. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to be as broad as, you know, like as general as I could to like hit the main areas. But then I read back through it and I was like, so everything. Yeah. I want to I wanna talk about everything. Yeah. But yeah, I'm... I'm stoked. I think that everything is generally going the way that I want it to knock on wood or do all the good luck charm things, throw salt over shoulders or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. I'm happy for you. I'm happy for me too. It feels nice. But then today happened and I was going to be all productive and then I felt really sick. So I took a nap and then my dog puked everywhere that's always fun oh my love yeah I woke up at 4 45 on Monday morning to the sounds of Greg literally literally exploding from both ends in my room yikes no thanks yeah it was fun it was good no, it was a good you. wake up call I don't want that yeah so I told Evan that now he's he I have two points in our, cause we like keep tallies on who cleans what up. Right. <laughs> cause our cats puke so much that why does anyone have a cat? I don't understand. I listen. They're Carry wonderful. On. Okay. Greg just sometimes gets a little, I don't know. He's got, I don't know. He's his gut is all sorts of fucked, but he, um, I told Evan, I was like, okay, well this means that I'm, I'm two ahead of you, so the next two, no matter how atomic they are, they're on you. Yeah, that's only fair. Yeah, I think so. Um, hey, Reagan. Mm. Yeah, Taylor. Welcome to Babe Town. <laughs> welcome 13 minutes in, to welcome Babe Town. to Babe Town. You know what? I don't even care. It's been so long. It's been so long. I needed to resettle and refocus and everybody can just shut up already about how long it takes us to get a blah, 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 blah. I don't care. I feel that. Also, I have a question for you. Ask me. Ask me anything. What, what year was your babe born? Well, that's interesting, Taylor, and I'll tell you. Oh, while I'm moving around to get to my Google Docs, uh, what are you drinking? Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. I've like forgotten our whole routine now. Like we need to totally go back and have, listen to our other podcast. We totally have a routine. 
yeah, it's the same and toned and polished mm. every time. Um, I am drinking a lime white claw right now. Classic. Um, yeah, I'm. You... I am also feeling a little under the weather, so I don't know how much of it I am drinking, but uh, at the moment, I'm drinking it. Um, can you guess what I'm drinking? Are you drinking your boxed wine? Oh my God, Taylor, you're brilliant. Oh my God. You are just something else. Thank you. Yes, I'm, I'm definitely drinking boxed wine. Um, to answer your previous question, my babe was born in 1921. Oh shit, I'm going first. Yay! Okay, let me get all settled. Um, um, okay. Are you all settled? Are you ready? I'm ready. <coughs> Great. Reagan. Taylor. Have you ever heard of Lada Brandisova? I have not, but that's an incredible name. Isn't it? I know. Okay. Cool. So, I have a disclaimer to put in this story. Okay. But I don't know when I'm going to do it, and I don't think it's yet. Oh. Because ooh. the beginning is fine. Surprise disclaimer. But then it gets into some stuff that, okay, it's fine. We'll go. Okay. <laughs> So, Lada Brandisova. I don't know. <laughs> Lada Brandisova. She has a like really long, beautiful Czech name, but everybody just called her Lada. So I only wrote that down. But I have her actual name. Her actual name is Marie Imukolada Brandisova. Amazing. Um, a beautiful name. Everybody yes. just calls her Lada, though. Um, she was born in 1895, June 26th. She was born at the Schaefer Castle in modern-day Czech Republic. Mm-hmm. Um, so her family line had been nobility since the late 1500s. So oh, they wow. were, like, like set. Yeah, they're right? in there. Old money. Um, but set then, by the time Lada comes around, they are falling out of that nobility. So they have – they the family later becomes impoverished. But they don't really specify when that happens because, like, when she's a kid, she lives in a castle and her dad is a count and she's a countess at one point. Like, so, like, I also don't know if impoverished is, like, rich people impoverished where, like, you know, suddenly they have to shop at Nordstrom instead of, like, Neiman Marcus. But I don't know. So. Who knows? Um. So when she's eight, she begins horseback riding and quickly becomes obsessed with it. So she would go to races with her dad all the time. um, And that was like what she wanted to do with her life was horseback ride. But she's a lady and it's the 1800s. So then World War I happens. Um, Her father and brother, they both go off to war. The brother dies. During the war, their family estate was seized by the government. Mm. After the war, when Czechoslovakia is established uh, with Tomas Masaryk at the helm, they sure. lost most of their property and also all of their titles. Oh. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, Lada, meanwhile, as all of this is going on, that's kind of like what all happened to their family in the war. But while dad and brother are off at war, she's at home with the horses. So she's just like hanging out with her horses. She's stoked about it. Everybody like talked about how good she was with the horses and how they just like 
were super calm around her. And she uh, used to say that the trick was to make each horse her, quote, willing friend. And she would use peace and love with them. Which, like, oh, my God. So cute. Um, So everybody was aware that she was great on horseback. um, But she was a lady. So she couldn't be a jockey. Her sister and her... Equestrian eye roll. I know. Her sister and her uh, would hold fake horse races where they would go so far as to dress up like men because they knew that real racing couldn't be a thing for them. Which, like, breaks my heart. Seriously. (laughs) They're, like kids dressing up like dudes to pretend like they can be jockeys because they knew that they couldn't be jockeys which is sad Ugh. yeah so this is kind of where my disclaimer comes in because Ooh, okay. because i think that horse racing is trash okay. and pretty barbaric considering that like if a horse breaks its leg they don't do surgery on it like they horses die in horse racing all the time still to this day Mm -hmm. um and they are often pushed far past what they should be pushed to do and it's so i personally think that horseback riding uh horseback races rather are pretty terrible um that being said i thought that this story was very important for what this race that we're about to talk about symbolized for everybody so decided to plow ahead and do it but i had like a whole conversation with evan where i was like i really disagree with like the core part of the story and i don't really know how to go about it and he was like just do a disclaimer and i was like that's a great idea. So I mean, we've done we've done a few of those stories before where it was like, you know, this woman was collecting animal specimens and by collecting it right. she almost wiped out a bird species. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um so back into it. Back in. Back in. So um by the time she's in her late twenties, she is able to get a job exercising the horses for one of the leading trainers in the country. Cool. So that's something at least, but she actually couldn't do anything on race days. She was barred from helping on race days. Cause she's a lady. Um, like the female Sabbath. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but uh, the new guy that took over and made it Czechoslovakia, Tomas Masaryk, mm-hmm. he's like super progressive for the time. So he wrote into the Czechoslovakian constitution forbidding the discrimination against women and now feels like law, politics, and journalism were starting to allow women into the field. Hey, that's cool. Which like pretty cool. So she realizes that this is kind of her chance. So in 1927, she gets on with her cousin Zendanko Radlov Kinski to help get her an amateur jockey's license. She's like in it for real. Yeah, girl. And all of the dude jockeys were pissed about it. Like, of course they were. So mad about it. And they framed it as like, well, we're worried because, you know, horseback races are pretty dangerous and like people get hurt all the time. And like, she's a lady and we don't want a lady to get hurt. That's my dude voice. It was really good because it was Thank really you. offensive. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly what I was going for. 
Um, and Failed. so, you know, everybody was like fake outrage when really they're just worried that they're going to get beat by a girl and have their fragile egos dented. Yep, yep. Um, so the first officially sanctioned race for female jockeys was in May of 1927. So she races then. She does pretty good. She doesn't, like, do amazing, but she does pretty good at it and, like, loves it. So she's in it now for real. The main Wait, event. Was yes. that race Was that race all ladies or was it co-ed? Um, I think it was just women. Okay. Continue. Yeah. So the main event um, is called the Grand Pardubitsin is the the race um still to this day it goes on and it is the same course and it is just as brutal there's like three huge jumps they have to like leap over a river and shit like it's brutal horses die all the time like all the time um and it's supposed to be like one of the hardest horse races in the world and that's what she's like i'm fucking doing it so 1927, Lada goes to the Grand Pardubitsin. She's riding a sweet little mare named Norma, which like Norma is the cutest name for a horse <laughs> I've ever heard in my life. Especially because like when I picture a horse named Norma, I picture like I basically picture like a donkey. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and this is like a horse racing horse, Ugh, which cracks me up. Um, which by the way, Norma is just as much a character in this as Lada is, which Good. is very sweet. Um, so her first race at the Grand Pardubitsin, she gets fifth. Okay. Which is very good. Yeah. Very good. Um, all of the cavalry officers are horrified that a woman is racing, especially in this race because it's so dangerous and she fucking gets fifth and is like, suck my dick. Speaking of which... She, we went to, this is super not on topic at all, but we went to the Icelandic Phallological Museum and it was just a dick museum and it was amazing. God, it was so fun. Anyway. I just want to know where the Vagina Museum is. God, right? Anyway, back to Lada and Norma. Right. Um, So every year she returns, races the race every year with Norma. Oh, so sweet. Um, she's always trying to win. She eventually claws her way up to got she got second. Dang, girl. Yeah. So by 1936, almost 10 years later, she was race it every year for nine years. She was 41. She had yet to win it. Mm-hmm. At this time, we're going to take a little break from talking horse riding. OK, for just a real quick second. Sure. In comes the Third Reich because it's 1936 uh, uh, and we're in Czechoslovakia. So the Third Reich uh, is thriving at the time, and it's well known that the Nazis used sports to kind of, like, assert their dominance over other countries, which is why the Olympics were such a big thing for the Nazis, and this is no different. So the Third Reich had multiple SS officers racing in the Grand Pardubitsin to try and prove that they were superior and could win even a Czechoslovakian race against Czechoslovakian people. And horses. And horses. So, And Norma was having none of it. Norma was like, fuck <laughs> you. I'm doing this. 
1936 and 1937 happen and a whole lot of things happen all at the same time. So one, Norma is given to a man rather than Lada to race oh, in the Grand Partabitsen, and it's the last time that she races before she's retired. Oh, Norma. At the same time, Tomas Masaryk, the leader, mm-hmm. dies. The oh. whole country goes into mourning. And then, because he died, suddenly they're kind of thrown to the wind. There's this big question about how long Czechoslovakia could hold out against Hitler. Yeah. So... Back to Grand Partabitsen. Okay. Norma is eventually given one last chance to race in this race. And Lada gets to be her rider. So it's <gasps> Norma's last chance. It Lada is riding her. And now they are up against the SS. Is there are going to be about this. Dude, I don't know, but I want there to be so much. I think God. actually there's, I think, at least a documentary, but there might also be a movie. Let me tell you what. The score at this part would be incredible. Oh so good. And this is where I would start crying. <laughs> so good. So um, in total, there are going to be six SS officers in this race, three of whom had already won the race. It's the largest crowd that the Grand Partabitsen has ever had. There were 40,000 people there. Whoa. And Everyone else listened to it on the radio. Like, the whole country tuned in to listen to this. Um, The German officers came to the race to show that they were better than the, quote, subhuman slobs, which, like, way to be Nazis. Um, So the stakes for the Czechoslovakians basically were to prove that if they could win it, they were a real nation because they were being treated as though they were just a in between ground to countries that Hitler actually wanted rather than like, we're our own country. (laughs) Like what the fuck? So um, out of 15 racers, only 10 of them finished the race. Lada was blocked multiple times by another rider who was pro Nazi and wanted the Nazis to win and hated that Lada was even racing. And so he kept like trying to get really close to her and like fuck up her race. And she didn't give a shit. Mm-hmm. She won the Grand Partubitsen by seven lengths. No. It was not even close. Oh my God. I know. Oh. I know. <laughs> I'm Googling pictures of her right now. Oh I know. Oh my God. So it was known as the Battle of the Partubitsen because the SS were so vocal about how they were going to win. And then this Czechoslovakian lady comes along and wins by a mile for the first time. She won for the first time on Norma's last race. Ugh, the whole thing is so, it's so much. And I love it so much. And there were specifically writers there to block her. Yeah. Yeah. So the bad news about it is that while... The Czech people were fully behind her and she became a national hero. It pissed off Hitler like nobody's business. Um, So within two weeks, um, 
there was being there was such anti-Czech propaganda being spewed by Germany that it was quote the most violent used by Germany against another country since 1918 since World War One, mm. and it's because of this lady, because it in it embarrassed the Third Reich basically. Yeah. And so then all of that shit came back on them. Um, six months afterwards, Hitler was in Prague. Um, he wasted no time invading. And Lada's estate was one of the first that he seized. Uh. Um, still, her family refused to comply with the Nazis. And despite being basically destitute at this point, she helped with the war effort. Um, eventually, she was living on a farm with two of her sisters. She was super frail because a fall at the Pardubitsen had left her in a coma for a week. Whoa. Yeah. Um, she, by all accounts, though, like never complained, never was upset about um, the situation that she was in after being like this huge hero. Like it never came up. She was just like, yep, like that's what I had to do. And then I had to help with the war and now I'm here and that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, she died in 1981 in almost complete obscurity. She had been effectively erased from sporting memory because she became a class enemy. Oh so they basically did their best to erase any trace of her from... Of course they did. Yeah, because it was embarrassing. Because she won. Oh, um, wow. To this day, she is still the only female winner, winner of the Grand oh, Part of Eastern. Shut up. Yep. Yep. Oh, my God. That's amazing. I know, isn't it? I need there to be a movie about this. So there's an article um, called The Greatest Sports Story Never Told, The Woman Who Defied the Nazis to Win the Toughest Horse Race in History. And in that, um, Richard Asquith, quote, Lada Brandisova's pioneering example reminds us that even in the toughest contrast, a female writer can do just as much as any man, and sometimes when it matters most, much more. Mm-hmm. And that is the pretty amazing story of Lada Brandisova and sweet little Norma. Dude, that's Beaten amazing. Nazis. Beaten Nazis, taken names. Yep. Oh, my God. That's awesome. Isn't that great? That's really great. I know. That's why I was like, I disagree with the horse race, but also I think this is a really important yes, it <laughs> moment is. to talk about. And you should absolutely tell everyone about it forever. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Good job, dude. Thanks. So to source my shit real quick, mm -hmm. um, they're real short because I found two very deep dive articles, which was great. Um, so first, that Telegraph article that I just mentioned, written by Richard Asquith, who is the guy who wrote the full story of Lada and Norma, Norma um, called Unbreakable. And so there's a lot of excerpts from that book. Um, and then there's also a article, uh, The Czech Countess Who Took on the Nazi SS in Steeplechase, written by Gary Wallach. And that's wow. it. Those are my sources. There you go. Good job. That's Thanks. really, that's really cool. Thanks. I couldn't figure out how to spell her name, so I couldn't look up pictures, but send it to me later. And I will. I will. Because will. there's so many photos of her and sweet Norma. Uh, Norma. Mm-hmm. I love you, Norma. Yeah. The best. Um, so little 
expected, we know, but we have a theme for this week, and it's called Embarrassing Nazis. Taylor, have you ever heard of Sophie Scholl? Uh, no. Man, this girl, I just, okay. Sit back, relax, maybe cry, maybe don't. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, this is the lady you were telling me you were reading about and crying on the train? Bus, but yes. Bus. Yes. Okay, cool. I'm stoked. I do and cry nervous. on public transit regularly, um, but in this case specifically, I was crying on a bus. Okay. I almost never cry, but maybe I will. Wow. I do often. Um, it's because I'm in touch with my... Emo- okay. So... <laughs> Um, she was born Sophia Magdalena Scholl on May 9th, 1921 in Forchtenberg, Germany, which at the time was like a free people's state. Okay. Her father was a liberal politician and a staunch Nazi critic. Um, he was also mayor of Forchtenberg. Um, but he eventually served time in a Nazi prison for saying that, quote, the war, it is already lost. This Hitler is God's scourge on mankind. And if the war doesn't end soon, the Russians will be sitting in Berlin. Uh, so, you know, they put him in jail, <sighs> which was cool. Oh, but this already is, it's making me sad. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. But this is like the voice that she grows up with, right? Like, yeah. The, yeah. So she's bright. She's carefree. She everybody said she learned really easily. Um, her family moved around a little bit, but they landed in Ulm, which is where she attended her like secondary girls school. I'm not sure that I completely understand the school structure of Germany in the 1920s, but. Uh, oh, my God. Why not? That's all that this podcast is about. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Babe Town, where we talk about the schooling 1920s. in the 1920s in Germany. <laughs> I'm sorry I failed. I'm sorry. Um, So anyway, uh, she joins the Hitler Youth Organization, which is called the League of German Girls. And some sources say she joined by choice and some sources say that she was forced into it. I'm not really sure because most young people were just automatically put into it. So it's really she could be doing it because all her friends are doing it and like it's what everybody did or it could be required, you know, I don't know. But even if she was initially stoked on it, she eventually grew skeptical, especially because she's listening to her father's voice. And then later her siblings start to kind of reiterate what he's saying, especially her older brother Hans, but we'll get to Hans later. And also like that must be, even if she initially was into it, Seeing your father get thrown into jail because of he's because he's talking shit about the Nazis probably isn't a great endorsement for not the best sticking with that party. Yeah. But like, I can't even imagine what um, what's the word that I'm like a propaganda as a youth, like 12, 13, 14 years old. What is that even like? I just accepted everything that was told to me at that age. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it doesn't even need to be propaganda. It's just... Like, they just drill it into their head. I don't know. It's crazy. Man. So, as a young woman, she is really aware of the disagreeing viewpoints between her family, her teachers, and her friends. Like, 
as a 15, 16 year old, she's already very in tune with dissenting political views yeah. And that ultimately became how she chose her friends was by political alignment, which if you'd asked me 10 years ago, I would have said that was insane. Yeah. Especially but, as a 15 year old. Right. But now I kind of get it. Yeah. You know, like when it's yeah. extreme, like it kind of makes sense. Um, right. It's so, that thing that like people point out today of people being like, yeah, no politics. You you're allowed to. You're allowed to pull away from like friends that have vastly different political views from you because they are affecting real people, real humans lives. It's not like disagreeing on a certain where to go to eat. Yeah, <laughs> <Or> like... <laughs> I mean, even if it was disagreeing about like a certain tax or a certain, right. you know, mediocre yeah. law that's kind of neither here nor there, you're talking about something so much more yeah moral and integral to the human condition and it's yeah right because at that point it's just a difference of morals yeah that's it's that's what it boils down to it's not politics morals yes right yeah yeah anyway um so 1937 her brothers and their friends all got arrested just for participating in the german youth movement um so seeing that she keeps leaning more and more liberal Wait, wait, wait. Her brothers got arrested for participating in the German youth movement, which was like an anti-Nazi. Oh, different than like Hitler youth. Hitler youth is very different. Yes. Okay. I should have. No, I'm there. Okay. So after she graduated secondary school in 1940, she had to choose a career and the Nazis were all trying to force everyone to choose military careers or some career that serviced the Nazi party. Right. So she chose a career as a kindergarten teacher because she wanted to go to college, but in order to get to college, she had to choose a career in the national labor service, which was the Nazi party, blah, 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 blah. So she was hoping that by being a teacher, she would be seen as a public servant and they would let her into the university. Unfortunately, they saw through her ruse and they required that she work six months in the auxiliary war service as a nursery teacher in Bloomberg. And so being in the war service had like a super military like regimen that made her more and more disillusioned with the government and made her more and more a believer in passive resistance. So then May of 1942, she's finally allowed to enroll in the University of Munich and she studies philosophy and biology. Wow. Right? So her older brother Hans, he's back. He was studying medicine at the University of Munich, and he introduces her to all of his friends. And though, yes, they were all politically aligned, they originally came together kind of like a dead poet society. You've seen that, right? I have not. Taylor, I, I just... know. I know. <laughs> Evan found that out on this trip, and he was like, oh... Um, and I was like, okay, whoa, it's, <laughs> um, no, Blur. I've not seen it, but I kind of know the premise of it. Like somebody stands on a desk at some point no, and is like, out. Stop I'm quoting Walt Whitman and they're like, you are quoting yeah, Walt Whitman and then credit rolls. That's not even, I hate No, I'm so pretty much. sure that's what it is. So basically they were initially drawn together as a group 
because of their um, their adoration and passion for music, art, theater, reading, literature, like all of the arts, basically, and how that um, enhances a culture is what initially brought them together. And then as time went on, it became more and more of a political thing. That's amazing. So Hans and his buddies, specifically this guy named Christoph Probst, spent two years as medics on the Eastern Front in the military, and they saw firsthand some of the horrors that Germans were doing to their enemies, specifically the Jews. So when they came back, they began to resist the Nazi regime through passive resistance. And they took their inspiration from the black youth in the American South peacefully fighting against racism. And oh, just, oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. Yep. I just, yep. So they all, you know, it's really cool. This was in the forties and these are super not still things that are mm-hmm. going on. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. Neither of the things. Racism neither of them. No, nope, neither of them. Totally good news. Everything's fine. God. Yeah. So they developed a group that they call the White Rose. And the main weapon of the White Rose was publishing leaflets and spreading them through the university and then having students read them and then pass them along to their friends. So they're basically just spreading knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so though Sophie was technically in the group, she didn't write any of the leaflets. She just distributed them. Um so as dissent I'm picturing Germany, that scene, sorry, I'm picturing that scene in Mean Girls when she like prints out all the pages <laughs> from the burn book and just like stands there oh. and just like throwing them into the air. <laughs> that's that's oh, what I'm picturing. Taylor, <laughs> I have no idea. Oh, yes. <laughs> we will get there. Um right. so as dissent in Germany is growing, the youth are all banding together as is the case when most revolutions happen right mm-hmm. and then the nazis are like oh shit oh hell no we're not about to let some fucking fired up youths ruin our ideas of slaughtering people uh so the ss begin stopping young men regularly to check them for leaflets because they don't know who like they don't know where they're coming from and initially mm-hmm. hans didn't want sophie involved but she persisted um because she's right. Yeah. And she proved invaluable because as a woman, the SS didn't stop her. God, I love how many stories mm-hmm. include Nazis underestimating women. Yeah. <laughs> and not even looking at them because they're women. I fucking love that. Literally under their nose, doing the most resistance fighting in the like just right in front of them but they're like oh that's a lady she couldn't couldn't possibly, possibly be have her. ideas I no love better stop that. that other man yeah it's the best so between june of 1942 and february of 1943 so for like eight or nine months they published and distributed six different leaflets some by leaving copies around some by like mailing them in um And all of the leaflets called for active opposition of the German people to the Nazi oppression and tyranny. 
Um, there was a break for a couple of months because several members of the group had been deployed to the Eastern Front for military service during the academic break. Which, mm. yikes. Yeah. Can you imagine, like, oh, it's Christmas break and go to the front. Jeez. Oof. So they also began leaving graffiti around that called Hitler a mass murderer and was just crying for freedom. It was the best. Wow. That's amazing. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Excuse I me. wish that that I like I wish that that graffiti still existed, but I can't imagine that it does. No, definitely not. Um, but how cool would that be to I like know. have that graffiti from the 40s just on some wall? Calling Hitler a mass murderer and calling for unity and freedom. God. Yeah, wow. that'd be pretty incredible. Um, so the fifth leaflet that they published had between 6,000 and 9,000 copies floating around seven major cities in Germany and Austria. Hans oh. had written it with edits from one of the other White Rose members named Kurt Huber, who was a philosophy professor at the university. Um, the leaflet warned that Hitler was leading Germany into the abyss and that with the gathering might of the allies, defeat was certain. The reader was urged to, quote, support the resistance movement in the struggle for, quote, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and protection of the individual citizen from the arbitrary action of criminal dictator states. Wow. So they're just in it, man. That's great. And that brings us to February 18th, 1943. Sophie and Hans brought a suitcase of leaflets to campus and were leaving them in piles outside of classrooms and in staircases, all very sneaky, so that students would find them when they got out of class, but they wouldn't know who left them. Wow, literally the burn book scene. Uh, Literally. Wow. before they left, Sophie noticed a few more leaflets in the suitcase and thought that they should be distributed, so she went to the top of the stairs and threw them in the air. That's amazing! What the fuck? Yep. That's literally that scene! It's it's literally that scene, (laughs) but with positivity. Wow. Wow. Made out with a hot dog. I Um, love... (laughs) Wow, that's amazing. She was like, we're not going to waste these. What if somebody, you know, so she runs to the top of stairs. She flings them down and a custodian saw her. Oh, no. So Jacob Schmid saw her and called the police. Hans and Sophie were arrested and taken to the Gestapo. The rest of the group were soon arrested and they were all charged with treason. Um. Three days later, February 21st, in her trial, the presiding judge was Roland Friesler, some douchebag. Um, he was the chief justice of the People's Court of the Greater German Reich, and he had been sent in from Berlin just for their trial because the oh. Nazis were pissed. So he – this is all a quote from one of the articles. He conducted the trial as if the future of the Reich were indeed at stake. He roared denunciations of the accused as if he were not the judge, but the prosecutor. He behaved alternately, alternately, excuse me, like an actor ranting through an overwritten role in an implausible melodrama and a grand, grand inquisitor calling down eternal damnation on the heads of the three irredeemable heretics before him. Zero witnesses were called and they couldn't understand how nice German boys and girls had been so misled. Wow. So they weren't allowed to speak except for Sophie, and Sophie said, quote, 
Somebody, after all, had to make a start. What we wrote and said is also believed by many others. They just do not dare express themselves as we did. Um, and then later in the proceeding, she said directly to the judge, you know, the war is lost. Why don't you have the courage to face it? Oh, my God. Uh, which she's like, I think, 21 right oh now. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. And she's just facing off with this judge who's screaming at her. And she's like, look, you already lost. Like, hmm. buck up. So their parents burst into the courtroom demanding to defend them, but were forcibly removed. And as he was being dragged out, Sophie's dad yelled that the two siblings would go down in history. I was just about to say, like, her dad must have been so proud. He was so proud. Um, they were all found guilty and sentenced to death. But the guards allowed Sophie to see her parents one more time because they were so impressed with her bravery. Um, they said she didn't cry. She seemed at peace. She told her mother that they had made waves. And then later a guard witnessed her crying in her cell to which she simply turned to him and said, I just said goodbye to my parents. You understand? Oh my God. <sighs> the, I just, yeah. The next day, Sophie Hans and Christoph were all beheaded and buried by the prison. Hans was 24 and Sophie was 21 years old. Wow. Yep. Prison officials apparently emphasized the courage with which she walked to her execution. And her last words were, okay, this there's differing things. Her last words were either the sun still shines or such a fine sunny day. And I have to go. What does my death matter if through us thousands of people are awakened and stirred to action? Wow. Right. Um, and she was right. They, the white rose are still known throughout Germany and a bunch of streets and squares and everything. Schools um, have been named after various members of the white rose that were all executed Many of the students who were caught that supported the White Rose were all sent to concentration camps. Um, hundreds, apparently, of schools are now named after the Scholl siblings. Um, and then Sophie and Hans were jointly voted in the top five greatest Germans of all time. Wow. Wow. Uh, yeah. And that's the short but insane story of Sophie Scholl. That is incredible isn't that bonkers that's why i was crying i got to the line where uh sophie was beheaded and buried by the prison she was 21 years old and i was like Whoa. yeah and that's she's crying on the bus so that's cool it's fine everything's fine i'm fine wow yeah um to source my shit um there's an amazing article by Carmelo Lichiotto called Sophie Scholl Revolt and Resistance by the uh, Holocaust Research Project Organization. Um, on the Jew Jewish Virtual Library website, there's an article called The White Rose, A Lesson in Dissent by Jacob Hornberger. And then there's a uh, German film that was based on unpublished interrogation transcripts that's called Sophie Scholl, The Final Days. 
Whoa. Yeah. Um, that must be brutal to watch. I could only get through a little bit of it. I didn't watch the full thing. Dang. Um, and then Sophie and Hans's older sister, Inga Scholl, wrote a book in 1970 called The White Rose about the entire thing. Wow. Yeah. So that's uh, that's my babe. Damn. Because hot damn. Hot you know? damn. Yeah. Making waves. <sighs> wow. That was great. Thanks, man. I am a huge fan of hers. Yeah. Because holy shit. Because everybody you know, should be. As everybody should be. Uh, Taylor, who's your babe of this week? Or the last three weeks? Or pick a week. Um, I think my babe obviously has to be my mom. Because she flew up from Oregon to watch our cats while we were gone. Oh, mom. Mom. And they were so mad that we were home. Because... She spoils them so much more than we do. Sure. They were like bummed that we were back <laughs> because they suddenly weren't just getting like ounces of catnip every day and <laughs> like as much wet food as they could possibly want. So they were a little bummed, but it was very sweet and a huge help that she did that. Um, so she's my babe for the last two weeks. Who's your babe? My babe, uh, this Sweet, sweet angel. Victor, if you're listening, I love you. Um, <laughs> this poor guy is going to be like, whoa. Uh, I don't even care. I feel like we're moving really fast. Uh, freaked out. <laughs> I freaked out whenever he said something. Because, you know, like, I talked You have to about... tell the story. You have to tell the story. Okay, okay. So, um, Trevor and I were at dinner with one of... Trevor's friends in our neighborhood and we're at this little divey pizza place that's great um I'm just you know talking and we're all just having dinner or whatever and there's a man sketching on the other side of Trevor we're all sitting at the bar top and there's a man sketching some cool stuff I couldn't really see it because it was like I don't want to like lean across Trevor you know what I mean yeah so he's sketching some cool stuff and as he was leaving he stopped and was like are you Reagan from Babetown, and then I shit a brick. Oh my God. <laughs> and I was like, what? Yes. What? Uh, and he was like, oh, that's so crazy. I like, I turn on my phone and your voice is there, and then here you are. I was like, wow. Sorry, what? Um, but he was like, yeah, it's so crazy. He was like, is Taylor really in Alaska right now? And I was like, well, not right now. She's in Iceland. But, you know, she lives in Alaska. <laughs> Um, and I was like, that's actually where we met. We went to college together and then we, we started this thing and blah, 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 blah. Um, and he was like, well, I'm, I'm glad you guys are on a break right now because I'm only on episode three. And so I'll be able to catch up. Um, and then he was like, sorry, I didn't want to interrupt. Have a nice night. And I was like, no, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> it wow. was just the sweetest, sweetest thing in the whole world. Cause you know, you like, I tell everyone about this podcast. I talk mm-hmm. about it all the time. But you never actually think that people are, like, going to listen. No, no. I 100% (laughs) think that we're just, like, talking to each other and then putting it into the void. And that's where it stays. (laughs) Like, nobody has ever listened to it. Maybe maybe 12 people. Sure. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Because most of the time, 
whenever I talk about it and I, you know, tell everyone in the universe about it and I don't shut up, most reactions that you get are like, I'm not really a podcast person. And I totally yeah. understand that. Yeah, totally. Because if you don't enjoy this kind of thing, it would be miserable to sit and hear two people talk at each other <laughs> for an hour. Like, come on. Yeah. So, like, I totally understand. And I, people always feel really guilty when they tell me they haven't listened to it. I'm like, dude, it's not like it's for fine. you. You're fine. Yeah. It's for us. It's just, if you also like this sort of thing, great. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was the best feeling in the world. Um, and he was on the Cop Sisters episode. And so oh, he was fun. like, he was like six feet, seven feet. She's so tall. I don't know. And I was like, I love you. <laughs> it was, wow. Yeah, it was the best. Um, so Victor was absolutely my babe. Man, uh, this was great. This was really great. As usual. Mm-hmm. Fuck Nazis, man. Dude, fuck Nazis. Nazis. <laughs> I love this. And I love you. And I'm going to send you your thing. Love both of those things as well. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And I will talk to you soon because we're back at it. We're Season back. That's very this. exciting. Granted, it's a completely arbitrary, like, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It's season two, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cut that clip. That's our new intro. <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk to you soon. I love Probably you. Probably like six in the morning your time, yes. huh? It's midnight. Yeah, it's like that roundup. It's all the same. Yeah, <laughs> roundup, 6 a.m. Here we are. <laughs> all right. I love you. I love you too. Bye. Bye.